Hello and welcome to Mike Martin Asks. I have another amazing entrepreneur with me this week. As always, you don't know who they are yet. <laughs> but this week's guest has been referred to as the outsourcing king. He's helped entrepreneurs with productivity and outsourcing um, with virtual assistants since about 2009. So pretty much as soon as they put computers um, in third world countries, he was on the ball with this and he was outsourcing <laughs> um, and saving people money and making entrepreneurs rich, which is great. He's also built a home-based VA model, which now includes AI. So he's always, always in the cutting edge of technology. He's right up there with it. And he's often asked to speak at workshops, mastermind and networking groups all over the world. BGL, tell us who you are, my friend. Hey, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Uh, my journey started, um, as you mentioned, in 2009. I picked up this little book called The 4-Hour Workweek. And as an entrepreneur, that that dream of working four hours basically appealed to me. Um, I don't think I've ever worked <laughs> four hours ever right, uh, in, in a week. But that did that book did open me up to the world of uh, virtual assistants. So I got started with uh, three VAs. And then um, several weeks later, I started working with a call center and help grow that business from 100 to 500 VAs over the next 10 years from 2009 wow. to 2019. And it was during that time I kind of discovered the uh, what I call the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm not referring to the Clint Eastwood movie here. I'm referring to the industry. And that's what led me to form a new company in December of 2019 with a very different model, which I'll talk about uh, and as we go, kind of go through the show. Absolutely brilliant. Then, well, I always like to go with your backstory first of all. So, so obviously, you've given us a little bit of a background there. But what did you do before you started jumping in and becoming an entrepreneur? Before, before, before you 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 came over to the dark side and became one of those lucky few that gets to work maybe four hour days, not four hour weeks. Um, what what did did you have any proper jobs before that? Did you do anything that that? Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, so I I had a background in engineering until uh, the my company realized that of all the billions of Indians uh, out there, they, they picked the one who wasn't technically that smart. <laughs> so, uh, and they, they put me in sales and marketing. So I spent several years um, traveling around the world, selling high tech software for a company. Um, I think that kind of gave me the little bit of entrepreneurial bug right there. And then, um, and then um, in 2000, uh, it was 1997. I had the opportunity to, to, for the same company, uh, leave the UK, come over to the US. I lived in Chicago for three years. And then I, a friend of mine said, hey, come, come, you know, come join me in San Diego. Uh, we'll start a company up. We'll get into, you know, we we're in the recruiting business. So I kind of left my my job of several years, moved from Chicago to San Diego and stepped into this world of entrepreneurship. It was, if everyone's been to San Diego, it's beautiful out there. Um, we had a nice, we bought a home out there. So we're living the the, the kind of the US dream, you could say. Um, but then about a year into it, it kind of turned into a nightmare when I discovered that my then partner was kind of lying to us, um, not really being honest about what was going on. Net result, we lost the home, um, we lost three homes altogether. We became almost basically penniless. And for the next several years, say between 2002, 2009, we struggled. We, we, you know, we tried opportunity after opportunity. We, we kind of had major setbacks. We had run-ins with the immigration. In fact, in 2010, we actually had to leave the US, um, we left, I think, less than a total about three times uh, during that period, just so that we didn't fall foul of immigration laws. But every time it was a big upheaval for myself, my wife, the two children. And so we just kind of went through that. Uh, I used to call it the roller coaster years, Mike, but you know, I, I realized when I was uh, sharing that story on stage that we choose to get on a roller coaster. 
So it's a lot more like turbulence. As entrepreneurs, um, you know, we don't often are not able to predict when things are going to go wrong, just like turbulence. So we struggle. We had several years of struggle, you know, setbacks. Um, and But eventually, you know, the, the story is that we, we found something that I became very good at. And um, that became kind of what I do now from 2009. So what happened to your business partner? Did he rip you off? Uh, basically, he, he was he was lying to us. He basically was uh, creating false invoices. Everything everything fell apart during nine eleven, um, and the company a lot of companies stopped paying invoices, including some of my clients that I was working with. But as things started to recover, and I started to kind of collect on some of my payments, I was noticing that he was not collecting on his payments. Well, anyway, what it came down to was he was creating fake invoices, fake money coming in. And uh, basically, we, we, we were left kind of blindsided. The other part of the issue, the story was basically uh, my immigration was attached to the company. So that helped, that led to another whole fiasco as well. So, yeah, so we put that whole era uh, behind us. A lot of learnings, but we mm. put the era behind us, right? I, it's weird. In this industry, I think you find that almost every single entrepreneur has a um a a bad business partner story um where the people get to the point where they're so greedy that they just they just start ripping each other and they don't realize that if if both parties bring something to the table um and one without the other is going to struggle and yet the, i don't know why when you're making hundreds of thousands a month and things like that people are, are all of a sudden it's like you're not going to get a job. You'd be, you'd be making hundred grand a year, not hundred grand a month, and and they still get greedy. And they still, I mean, I remember what a uh, few years back, me and my business par- partner almost split up. We got really, really, really pissed. We ended up almost fighting, um, and we 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 had this massive big fallout. And this was the time I realised that my business partner was the most rock solid, trustworthy guy you can ever imagine. So we had this massive fallout. I was, I, 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 it was drink, it was drink related, but it was pissed out of our faces. We got absolutely bottled. We, we got in, in, into this big, big, um, almost, almost punching each other fallout thing. And um, the next morning we, 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 we kind of ended up speaking again on the phone. And, and I remember saying to him, fucking out, we went a bit mad last night. I was like, we're going to just push on and forget about it and blah, blah, blah. But the night before we was like, we'd, we was on about taking each other, said loads of nasty stuff. Um, and so I goes into the bank and I was like, that's not all the money that's supposed to be in the bank. So I phoned him and I went, did you, did you, did you take any money out of the bank? And he went, oh shit. When we had that big fallout last night, do you know what he'd done? He's gone into the bank and he'd taken exactly half of the money <laughs> down to the penny. So I knew straight away. I thought, well, do you know what? Even if this absolutely blows up, I've got the right business partner there because even if we want to kill each other, he's only ever going to take what's his. Um, that, that, and, and because it, yeah, because you're right. Because I mean, every other story, every other story I've heard along that lines, they've taken everything, right? So the fact that he took what he felt was you know his half was uh, you know as it, you it said. was down to the penny. It was right down to the penny. He's like right, but but he was pissed out of his face. So most pissed people are like, I'm taking it all, and and then they'd have been like, oh, I'm really sorry, but he didn't. He, he took exactly down to to the half, and I was like, and he was like oh shit, I forgot I'd done that. And I was like, mate, I was like, actually, I see that as a positive because of the big blow up we had in the fight. We're still business partners to this day. Um, and we don't track the finances. We don't track the investments. We don't track any of that stuff. We both completely trust each other. But I don't know many entrepreneurs in this industry who's got that type of relationship with a business partner, um, which I feel lucky to have because I know every, I know, I know so many people with these, with these horror stories. 
<laughs> which are um, not the best. I shouldn't be laughing. They're bad. <laughs> um, so, right, be epic. Obviously, be epic is um, you've got the t-shirt on. It's it's um, how does be, I remember speaking to you about this previously, um, and, and and you run the business a weird way. So, so I guess I should ask the question: How does your how does be epic's outsourcing model stand out and benefit both the client and the VAs? Okay, first of all, thank you for asking. Um, so it came about from an awareness I got about the industry. So let me start with what other companies do, and then I'll tell you how we do it differently. So there's really three ways of hiring um, team members. There is going through an agency, there's direct hire, and then there's things like Fiverr or Upwork. So when you hire direct, when you hire through an agency, one or two things are happening. Yeah, if you're being charged a ten to fifteen dollars per hour, they're typically making a two to five times markup. Nothing wrong in markup, so hey, that's that's how business runs. But what they often do is they squeeze the payment that the VA makes at the end of the day down to a dollar fifty, two dollars, you know, two dollars fifty. So they, they they are getting high markup again. Hey, look, we all got to pay the bills. So, but the one awareness I want and everyone to take away from this is that if you are hiring somebody through an agency, always ask the question, what is my VA getting paid? If they don't tell you, then what are they hiding? If they do tell you, and it's not $5 per hour, um, then that VA, I can tell you, because I haven't been in this for a while, is making what I call a barely livable amount, which means that they're either going to have to be moonlighting to get extra work to make the ends meet, or they're just burning, you know, they're doing way more hours than they really have to be doing. If agencies are charging five dollars, and you'll see this on Facebook ad all the time, hey, five dollars per hour, um, and they're an, they're an agency, they may be paying, you know, again, one dollar fifty, two dollars to that person. So they're still making a two, two and a half times markup, but they're really squeezing the payment down to to the VAs. That's part one. Part two is when you're hiring direct, good, you save a little bit of money, right? You, you know that your money's going directly to VA, but you don't get the support that you need, and your VA doesn't get the support that they need. And things like Fiverr and Upwork, they're great for projects, right? If you want logos done, graphics done, anything done, whatever, websites, right? They're great resources for what I call projects. Not really ideal for something that's like what I call an ongoing long-term um, solution. So that's kind of my, my awareness. So with that awareness, I created a new model. And I basically, I call it the no markup fee, um, direct hire, no contract model. Um I'll come back to a second. So make sure whatever you do, do not get into long-term contracts with any agency, right? Because you don't know what kind of quality of person you're going to get and you do not want to get stuck into a contract. So those are the three tenants. Basically, how do I create a no markup fee model? How do I uh, make sure that, you know, the clients are paying the VAs directly and there's no contracts? But what we do differently um, in addition to that is we basically pick one city and I build a community of VAs around that city, maybe a one to two hour drive. The reason being is about every three to four months, I pay for the VAs to get together. We do social events together. We do training events together. I fly over uh, once, twice a year and do personal training stuff. Why this is important is even though the VAs are getting paid directly by the clients, they still feel they're part of something bigger. We call it the happy hive. Um, which means that we can leverage training. So now when we do a training, we're training hundreds of VAs at the same time. We are supporting the the VAs. If the VAs have an issue with the client, they have somebody to talk to. A lot of times people hire direct, there'll be an issue and the VA will just disappear. 
right? They don't want to, they, they, they don't want to confront the issue. They'll just disappear. Um, sometimes the quality of the work can start to degrade and the, the client's left wondering like, what, what do I do here? Who do I contact? So we still provide the support to both the paying client and we provide support and training to, and coaching to the serving client, which is the VAs. So this community-based approach that has no markup fees um, allows clients to pay the VAs directly, which by the way, everyone told me that I was stupid to, to even build that model. And uh, one of the reasons I built it was because I know that when you are paying a high markup fee to an agency, sooner or later, you're going to clock on. Hang on a second. I've been told that this VA stuff is about five bucks an hour. I'm paying $12, $13 uh, an hour for this, for this VA. Somebody's making a margin. So what happens? They basically try and circumvent the, the agency. And similarly for the VA, VA is getting squeezed down to $1.50, $2, $3 per hour. They know the agency is making this, this huge markup. They then leave the agency and try and get clients directly. So you've got the, all these shenanigans happening in the background. With our model, we don't really get any of that issue because the clients know exactly how much the VA is getting paid. The VAs know exactly how much they're, they're getting paid. And they know how much we're getting paid. And I believe the way we do it is far fairer for everybody uh, concerned. How do you get paid then? So we have, we took the membership model. So we took the classic uh, membership model and said, hey, instead of a membership to a course, what if we give people membership to a VA? And that's essentially the model we do. So we, we know the membership range ranges from 79 a month to 129 a month, depending on how many, how much of the time is locked up with that one VA. And um, it's a, so it's a nominal membership uh, allows us to continue supporting both the client and the VA. And it's been working like a charm. Wow. Yeah. And that means because you're building a community, you're building a culture there and people feel like they're, they're, they're part of a business, not part, because that's the problem with, 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 the, with, the, with the typical, not just, not just the VA model, but the recruitment agency model. People feel like, I just spat on my microphone, uh, people feel like they're um, being ripped off. So, not not that just the VAs are the are the people that are being recruited that are trying to are trying to circumvent them. The recruitment agencies are constantly chasing the tail. They're not building up any sort of re- repeat income. I mean, I found that I was struggling in business until I started to. I I ran a huge locksmith company, but nobody locks itself out twice. So literally, you've got to be the best at marketing, the best at SEO, the best at all of that crazy shit conversions when they call and everything else, um, and then. When I started selling software and I started doing it on a monthly subscription basis, I found that the subscription model enables you to breathe, build an asset, know you've got money coming in every single month, and actually do a better job and look after your customers better. Um, and that's genius. So the way you've done that is completely it's, – it's complete remodeling of um, of what pretty much everybody else is doing. Yeah, and and, um, and you actually know my largest client. Um, we've talked about it before, but my, <clears throat> my largest client has 14 uh, VAs. We're saving them about $112,000 per year on, on, on fees, right? Wow. Um, my average client typically has two VAs, two part-time VAs. They're saving about $7,000 per year um, through, through our model. And they're still getting support. So, you know, every, everyone's happy. So if the company comes to you, um, the company comes and uses uh, you, they pay you the, the, the subscription. And that doesn't matter if they're using one or three or five VAs, they pay the same subscription. It, on it is a subscription per, per VA. So basically for every VA oh, that it. they hire, um, because we, we still have to pay, because we still have a cost of supporting the VA, but we're able to basically um, fractionalize it across multiple clients. So let's say you came to me 
and you only had really one thing you want the VA to do per day, let's just call it do a social media post or social media engagement, right? It doesn't take more than an hour of the VA's time. So we make it even possible for, for entrepreneurs who have really kind of a low budget or a simple need to hire a VA for one hour per day. So at that point, that's the lowest level of membership fee. Now, what our job is to basically make sure we fill up the other seven hours with other clients. So that's kind of what we do. So in the background, we are kind of constantly jogging. So the one thing we do, we're not, we're not a project-based company. Even though I have some VAs who can jump in and get a project done for clients when needed, our main business is I want to find something that my VA can do for you that's going to be an ongoing thing for next three to four years. Right? So I've got VAs being the same clients now going on four years. Many of them are in their second and third year with the same client. So my model depends upon long-term retention of a client versus what other agencies do. They know they're going to get $500, $600 per, per month profit. So they don't really care about the long-term retention. Well, they do probably do, but what I'm saying is that they're far more interested in, in, in getting a client, getting that few hundred, um, that few months in, making that the $500 per month. And then if the client leaves, they leave. They still made a nice profit. So there's, in the industry, there's a very high churn rate um, of clients. Now, I'm not talking about your typical uh, call center uh, companies where they hire up, you know, 100, 100 people to do phone calls. I'm talking about our level of entrepreneurship, Mike. So I'm going to be very careful. You know, you know, if, if you if you need a phone room of 100 VAs or 100 agents on, on the phone calls, you're probably better off with an agency that can provide that level. Now, with that yeah. said, we can still build big teams for people. Um, it's just home-based. So, so we are really suitable for what I call the solopreneur, micropreneur, and the lower end of small businesses where you know um, they're still looking, f- they're, they're still price sensitive. They're still looking for that more human relationship with the VA. I always tell my, um, I, I mean, I'm using the word virtual assistant, but we actually don't call them virtual assistants. We call them vital assistants um, or remote workers because I believe they're still vital for the company, even though they're doing some of the more, mundane boring repetitive stuff uh, in the business if they were not doing it most likely businesses would really struggle right i wonder if this would work for us i'm just i'm I'm thinking whilst you're talking because we're about to um start building a huge team of of in-house staff um i'll probably speak to you about that when we're off camera a little bit uh because that's something that i i would I'll, i'm going to put to my business partner just to see we might test it with a few and if it works we might take six or ten of them um because it's something we're about to to start employing in-house but that would make things a heck of a lot easier and it <laughs> it'd cut out all of the um you know when you have to advertise and all the rest of that and do all the interviews and all the everything that's just an absolute nightmare um so you always stay let's say on the forefront of, of, of technology. And at the minute we've got AI. So um, how do you think AI is shaping the future of outsourcing and how does it, how do you think it can be used to enhance uh, the VA's human touch? Do you know what I mean by that? So, so like rather than replacing people, which is what everybody's shitting themselves saying, Oh fuck, it's going to replace, which we, we know it's not. It just means that one person can do the work of what 10 people used to have to do, uh, which means it's brilliant. I mean, I even write my own blog posts nowadays. Um, so how do you think it's, how do you think it's going to affect outsourcing? Great. Well, I'm glad that we've got another five hours to have this conversation. Um, <laughs> but let's, let's, so, you know, um, for last decade or so, every time I've spoken on stage, at least one person would come up to me and say, yeah, this is all good virtual assistants, but at some point AI is going to, you know, kill off virtual assistants. It's going to destroy the industry. And so, you know, you're probably right. 
but not today. That was 10 years, the last 10 years. Well, when ChatGPT started to kind of really hit the scene and I really kind of became aware, I mean, I, I was aware of it in November, but I was in the Philippines doing training and stuff. I didn't really put too much attention on it. It wasn't until about January, February that I really like, oh, this, this thing is real. So the first thing we did, we started to train our, AI, uh, our VAs on, on AI. At first, it was more like encouraging them to learn. Hey, go go learn ChatGPT. It's really good. You can do this with it. You can write emails with it, blah, blah. In about May of this year, I said, I have to do more than just encourage them. I have to ensure that they're learning this stuff. So we created an in-house ChatGPT and AI, what I call competency program. It, they go through it. They learn prompt engineering. They learn um, you know, how to use different AI tools, what kind of AI tools are out there. So I use the word competent versus, you know, I don't want to use the word expert. I don't believe it. I think it's changing so far, so fast, and it's so deep that calling ourselves experts sometimes I think is kind of, you know, well, yeah, we'll, we'll, I'll leave it at that. I was, going to say, I was going to say something nasty for a second, but, but I won't, because I think, uh, uh, you know, marketers can have this tendency of self-labeling themselves as experts when really they have very little surface knowledge. Um, yep. But that was a starting point. Now, some practical applications. So uh, right off the bat, there were started, one thing that VAs could really not do well um, in all my time in industry is, is write English. Even the ones who were writers per se, were, were, they were okay, possible. But with ChatGPT, the first thing we saw was that now they can write near-perfect um, responses, right? So near-perfect, you know, because you still have to do some editing to make it customized. So immediately the ability to write uh, transformed what they could do for companies. Then uh, we've got VAs writing articles for, for, for clients, including myself. We've got VAs writing social media content, right? We can now take entire books or, or, or a book or books and have VAs then use ChatGPT to create social media content, posts, uh, ideas for images, uh, video scripts, all from source content. Then in the middle of all this, we started to create personas that actually were more higher level than even what the VAs were doing. We created personas that represented, say, a board of advisors, so different advisors to, to start to guide the company. We created a persona for a marketing strategist, a persona for a brainstorming um, uh, advisor, a operations manager, a HR manager. So we started to create what we call them virtual AI advisors for the business. That led us to start then helping other businesses create these personas. So now, not only we had, did we have the human VA business, we started to kind of have this fledgling um, virtual AI, so still VAs, but virtual AI advisors, and then we kind of married the two. Well, hang a second. If we've created these virtual advisors that can advise a business owner, surely they can advise a virtual assistant, a human virtual assistant, to be of better value to a business owner because even though we set up these virtual AI personas, it didn't mean that the business owner was really effectively using them. You know, we're busy doing whatever we're doing throughout the day. So sometimes we don't, we don't use the tools at our disposal, right? So, but the VAs would because it's part of their job description. So that's how we started to play around with it. Um, another more um, practical example, uh, I started to incorporate chatbots into our sales process but chatbots have to learn. So you have to train a chatbot. So the way you train a chatbot, there's really two kind of documents. One is the job description, which is what is the chatbot's job. In this case, it's a sales job. So I have to teach, hey, you are a sales chatbot. Your job is to sell, right? I mean, it's longer than that. But And then here is the knowledge base of our company. Now, those chatbots are deployed, 
people are interacting with those chatbots via text or via the website. But the VA is the one who has to monitor the chat because chatbots are not perfect. They can go off off canter and yeah. they can start saying stuff that you know they're not meant to say. So the VA comes in around and they're able to adjust the message. They they document wh- where the chatbot's going. You know, um, it's not answering correctly. They document it. They they retrain the chatbot, and that's so this cycling. Now, what it means though is that the chatbots can be having hundreds of conversations, right? Which which could have taken two or three or four different team members in in the past, but now one team member, a few minutes a day or you know a few times a day, come in, look at the chat logs, take the information, retrain the chatbots, and get back to doing other work. So this is just some practical applications of how VAs are interfacing with AI to not just produce content, but actually start to help run businesses more effectively. Have you seen what they've recently done in uh, ChatGBT, um, where they've got the custom instructions tab now, bottom left-hand side, so you can go in. Yeah. You can actually load the persona of... So you could say, like, I'm a Harvard-qualified legal professor and blah, 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 and then you literally can enable that to to, to just literally go out and answer as a, a... a, a, a law degree professor would do which yeah. i thought he's like holy shit this stuff is getting <clears throat> really powerful there's another one that just came out um I, I haven't played around with it yet but i just i just saw it yesterday it's called the ai council so now with the ai council plugin you can ask a question and it will give you feedback as five different personas it can give you a technical perspective a legal perspective a creative perspective i, I, I don't remember but but again, so now instead of just getting one answer, you can get five different answers, and then you can use the five different perspectives to make a more informed decision. So now you can create a, say, a persona or an advisor, <clears throat> say, trained on the marketing of your business. It can now then, it can now, the, this one persona can now get five different perspectives on on what it tells you. So it, it's, it's, dude, I mean, it's, it's, it's insane. <laughs> Yeah, but you you could do that with 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 regards because because there's people also also ask and there's um frequently asked questions and things like that from a business perspective and you, if you use that what was that one called then again sorry uh, the the, the, um, the a uh, AI I think it's called AI Council so if you go to ChatGPT and look at the plugin so it's a plugin and I believe it's called the AI Council. Because I'm thinking from an SEO perspective, uh, Google now, because everyone's writing in um, in AI, and, and Google's now looking for personal experiences. So you could actually write your content to answer your questions from a perspective of, we actually did a focus group, and we brought in a person who was technical, a person who was this, this, this. You make up three or four names, and then you just put all the answers into each question based off of that four different or five different perspectives. That'd be it's fucking awesome. It's amazing what can what can be done now in it. Um yeah. It's it's so exciting. I'm I'm loving it, me. But I, and at first I was scared when 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 ChatGPT first came out. I remember taking some of my team. Um, I've got a gym next door here, and that used to be my office. And I remember taking some of my team in and saying, "Come here, let me show you something." Typing it in and saying, "Watch." And each member of the staff was like, "Does this mean we're getting fired?" <laughs> so I was like, "Holy shit!" Because we, we had a team of writers. Now um, I do want to uh, respond to. There's another part of your question which I did not respond to, which is the loss of jobs. Now, on a more serious note, um, in the Philippines, um, about two or three months ago, a newspaper article did come out, and it said Armageddon for the BPO industry. So, and and I 
it's kind of true. Um, they are saying, and and literally a, a, a few months before that, I had been to a um, a call center expo here in Vegas. They were saying as well that the technology that's emerging in the call center industry is probably going to replace 80%, if not 90% of the jobs in the call center industry, which is going to be devastating uh, for like a lot of people. Banks and everything use them, don't they? Now, what that means is, a lot of these, a lot of these, um, you know, call center agents yeah. who may, you know, may have to become some form of virtual assistant just to, just to, you know, stay in the game, right? So that, you know, so again, it's 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 going to be. I think we're going to see a a, a shift in labor requirements. I do believe that a lot of people will will you know lose their job, but but I also believe that more resilient, more creative, more adaptable ones will find other ways to use it, right? But I do believe that people who you know uh, allow themselves to fall victims of the change will 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 struggle, right? So it's not about it's not the end of the world. It's like if you are willing to be, and this is why entrepreneurship is so critical. Entrepreneurship to me isn't isn't about isn't just about hey, I'm my own boss, right? It is about being resilient, being adaptable, um, being creative, finding new ways of making a living that makes us entrepreneurs. And I think that's something that we have to instill into the next generation of kids because if they if they are going through college right now, being trained, educated to do jobs that may not exist, but they do not have the resiliency, the mindset, the adaptability to adjust just because they learned this, um, they're going to struggle, right? So I think as as kind of forerunners or forebearers of this, as entrepreneurs, we've been through the ringer. You know, we've we've all had setbacks, and we've had to adapt. We've had to pivot. We have to change. These are the skill sets that kids have to be really trained on to adapt to what's coming down the future because it is going to change, right? And they are yeah. saying that six out of ten or something like that jobs will will change or be lost. It doesn't mean that you have to be out of work. It just means that you have to be the one willing to adapt faster, which is why this is not a time to sit back and watch the world, watch people, you know, jump on AI. It's like if you're not willing to start the learning process again, whether you like it or not, right, um, you're leaving yourself potentially at risk by not looking to adapt and, and stay and stay on track. Yeah, I mean, we've incorporated into our company, but you were saying some of that. So, so like me and you, we we, we live in like let's call them first world countries. We live in countries where there's opportunities. If if shit hit the fan now and, and I lost everything, I could probably go and find a job, um, a high paying job, um, and so could you. But imagine being based in the Philippines where you're living in houses that are not much better than fucking mud huts, but you've managed to get an internet connection, and you, you that that's your life. I mean, that must be scary and. You think what the other option is, it doesn't matter how entrepreneurial you are when you're in that situation where you've got nothing and to make something is almost impossible because getting paid, I don't know, a five or a day or something, I never thought of it like that until you just said it and I thought, holy shit, man, it's actually, technology is is, brilliant for, for countries where you've already got opportunities, but countries like the Philippines and places like that where they're their healthcare systems and everything else is not really designed or set up the way they are in, in the UK and the US and, and to earn money is almost impossible unless you're doing it abroad. Um, but yeah, I guess it's going to fuck up a lot of people's shit in it. Well, you know, the other thing that we know, and again, I'm speaking as a, as, a, as a father of two here, you know, there's a certain level of entitlement when you, uh, um, in the, in the younger generation, right. Growing up in the US or the UK or some other parts of the world, 
right now you're you're comfortable, right? And comfortable, I think, is a dangerous place to be right now, because in these other countries like India and Philippines and stuff, it's a necessity to learn AI, right? They they have no choice but to learn AI, and we're seeing far more technology companies emerge out of India than than at any time before, because they have the necessity, they have the intelligence, and they have the work ethic to just go and do it, right? They're willing to just yeah. throw throw their ideas at it and see what happens in the US. And I'll, I'll use the US for example, because I'm, I'm over here. There's a certain level of comfort that everyone's kind of got used to. I feel it may be a false sense of security. Um, and I feel at some point this house of cards may come crumbling down. Um, but that hunger that kids need to become creative and like, what can we, what can we do with this? Isn't the same. It's like, ah, it's chat GPT. Maybe I'll just kind of cheat on some writing a few papers here and there. And it's yeah. very different to younger folks in other countries where they're literally just jumping on this. Now they have access to the same powerful tools that, that you know, we do at a price that's affordable, right? And they're doing some incredible things with it. So, you know, if any parents are listening to this, be aware of, your, your you know, what, what your kids are doing with this technology. Are they just kind of using it to kind of cheat on a few papers or are they starting to use it to, to literally build businesses for themselves? Because they can. I mean, like my daughter, who was 18, she graduated from high school. Um, and she ran a get your book written boot camp as a way for her to pay for her six-week uh, vacation to Europe, right? And from start wow. to finish, it took about six weeks, uh, two weeks to, to create the boot camp, the slides, everything. She ran it. She made a few thousand dollars uh, from it, paid for a trip to Europe. Um, and so again, so, so, so kids today can leverage the technology that's available to them to start careers. Some of them, it may be just to offset college costs. Some of them, it might be alternative to college, but as parents, we shouldn't just feel that college is the only route available yeah. uh, to these kids anymore. Yeah. I've said that to my son. I said, don't stress yourself out with school and all the rest. I didn't finish school. I, I left school at about 14 and never went much while I was there. And I've done better than 99.9% of everybody I went to school with. Um, and that's because I've got that entrepreneurial spirit where it's like, who gives a fuck? Let's try. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it's like, well, fuck it. What's the next thing we can go and try and do? Um, you mentioned something before. You mentioned about uh, about communities. Why do you think? Because I think that's a real fresh way of looking at it. Um, and, and a lot of entrepreneurs try to build a business where they get a cult following um, or they get a culture of people that follow them. And that, that makes them super successful. Why do you think uh, building a community has been so vital to what it is you do? I think we saw the impact of not having human connection during the COVID time, right? Depression rates went through the roof. People were getting anxious. So giving people a, a reason to be, to feel part of something, right? Um, you know, a lot of marketers saying that, Hey, um, as open rates on emails start to decline, the ones who've built community, I mean, whatever shape or form it's built in are tending to do better. Right. Um, so, so, I kind of just took that community model, which is, you know, I always like to be part of a community, part of a kind of a friend circle, whatever. But if you take a VA who is kind of working isolated at home um, and they don't feel connected, you know, a lot of these, a lot of the VAs who work uh, in, in, in BEPIC were part of call centers. So that even though they didn't like working in the call centers, what they missed, and this is them telling me what they missed was that camaraderie, that, that being yeah. connected to something, being part of something. Right even though they're sometimes treated like shit and underpaid, it was important to them. So I thought, well, how do I recreate this for home-based virtual assistants, right? And so we just kind of gave, you know, we have, we have their B-Epic t-shirts. 
when we do Christmas parties together and, you know, they, they celebrate my birthday together. Um, they, in fact, they, they celebrate my birthday even better than I celebrate my birthday, right? They go to a tropical beach. They have this big barbecue and everything going on. They play games. And it just gives me, as a, as a business owner, even though technically speaking, they're not working for me, uh, they feel like my kids. Right? I feel like I, I, I was able to make that happen for them. And that's really important for me. You know, if you're you know, leaving a legacy or whatever, um, knowing that we've been able to build these communities. And my vision, just as kind of FYI, is multiple of these communities, as we call them, hives around the world, right? Not just in the Philippines. I want to extend the idea out to other parts where even though they're individually they're working for a client, they still feel part of something greater, grander. And as a company, we can provide the training, support, um, one of my VAs recently, 33 years old, one of my first VAs in the team uh, had a stroke. So the community gathered around. We basically were able to raise enough money to pay for a hospital uh, hospital bills, um, pay for a month's worth of salary. Um, again, with, but without the power of committee, this wouldn't be possible, right? Yeah, Sometimes they come to us with you know, mental health stuff, right? We, you know, we, we get on a call with them. We talk to them. We do monthly coaching with them on not not how to do Canva or how to do, you know, use this tool, or that tool, just to talk to them as a coach would talk to them on mindset, on having a vision for their life, on how do how do we make better decisions. Just things that even we entrepreneurs are part of other groups for the same training. So with regards to the training then, how do you, because obviously, you, you, like you said before, that, that you, you make sure that they uh, are up to speed with ChatGPT and things like that, and you've just mentioned Canva. How do you actually, I'll, I'll use the word police, how do you police the training? Or how, do you, how do you make sure that they do the training to, to stay up to date on all of the most up-to-date technologies and stuff? And do you yeah, pay so for we, all the technology for them? Yeah, so we basically, we build courses for them inside a, a platform where we can see the percentage completion rate. Now, are there ways to to hack that and kind of cheat that? Of course there are, right? Um, but if I tell you, hey, this is a chat GPT um, experienced or competent VA, they come to you and they have no idea, you're going to let me know very quickly. So again, I'm not saying it's 100%, but we do track them. Like I get a, in the very week, I get a, um, a sheet um, that tells me who, which VAs have got through the, the training, which VAs have logged in but not started, which VAs um, haven't even logged in. And I tell the VAs, hey, if you're not, if you're not at least 50% of the way through, we're not going to place you. Or I'll come to you, Mike, and say, look, I've got a great VA. They're new to the team. They haven't gone through the training right now. But if you're going to hire them, we're going you know, to make sure that they start going through the training. And between, the, between now and the next 30 days, you know, we'll, we'll police them to make sure that they get through it. So that's kind of how we're, how we're doing it right now. So you you kind of you kind of police the relationship with the client. So if they don't if they don't do as they're told and don't follow through, unfortunately they're not going to get any work, are they? So if they want to get paid, they've got to they've got to kind of play the game, exactly. So to speak. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know that you've spoke you've spoke. Um, is it is it about eight nine different countries that you've spoken at events and stuff? Yeah, like that? I think I think it's eight eight, eight or nine. Yeah. Have you noticed, like, when you're going out to these different events, because in different countries, obviously, the organization is slightly different in all different places and the way you have to set things up and do things. Have you noticed anything that's kind of like a, a common theme um, that, that that kind of sits in all countries that affect outsourcing, that where it, where it kind of fits? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not so much about outsourcing itself, uh, Mike. It's, it's more even fundamental than that, right? So the topic I actually talk about um, – maybe uh, in addition to or uh, uh, to outsourcing is productivity. 
So I talk about having a productive mindset and it comes from my own personal experience of not being productive. Now, what I mean by that is when I say the word productive, it typically today encompasses three, three um, elements. What are we producing? The time we take to produce it, time and resources we take to produce it, which is efficiency and the state in which we produce it, which is, you know, a, a calm mental, emotional state, right? So we can, we can have a productive day, but if you're feeling burnt out and mentally exhausted and you're, you know, uh, and, and, your, and your wife says, Hey, how are you doing? And you, you, you like bark back at them. That is not how we want to end up after having a productive day, right? So when I talk about being productive, I talk about how do we create the best results possible, right? Or in alignment with our goals in the most time effective way possible, right? In the, in the best state possible. So be above the topic of outsourcing is this topic of productivity. So productive mindset is making sure that we are producing the right work to produce the right result. Now, some basic basics here. You've got to have some goals. You've got to have some objectives to, to go for. If you, once you have your goals, you've got to have some plans. And then you've got, you know, a part of planning is, is what, what is your role to achieve that goal? And what is the team's role to achieve that? What resources do we need? And then we've got to find time in the calendar to get all that stuff done. Well, a lot of people spend money on masterminds, 20,000, 30,000, you know, yeah. dollars in masterminds. They go to these masterminds, have a wicked three, three days, and maybe they'll do some fun stuff in all of that. They leave with million dollar ideas. So many don't do shit after that, right? So they, 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 90, they have 99%, the, feel, yeah. they have the feel good of planning and thinking and ideas, but they do not have the discipline of now I've got to plan the workout, right? Yeah. So, what I realized going through traveling and stuff is that people will spend a lot of money um, on hope and opioids, right? And, and yeah. they're okay spending money on hope and opioids and hope dealers. But when it comes down to the tactical level implementation, the way, where the kind of was it the rubber meets the road or, you know, kind of thing, um, a lot of them don't want to do the work. They don't want to do the actual work required. And the reason they don't want to do the work is that a lot of that work is not the fun, exciting stuff that entrepreneurship is, is made out to be. It is the mundane, overwhelming, the repetitive, the I don't want to, the dislike doing stuff. I call it the morbid parts of our business. So what happens is when we are when we come back down to reality from, from these events and workshops and walking on fire and you know, breaking balls and all this fun stuff we do at these workshops. And we come back to our home office, we've got to sit there. And now we've got to, now we're faced with the reality of the real work. What a lot of entrepreneurs do is they go find another opportunity because yep. starting an opportunity is a lot more exciting than doing the work. And that's exactly where VAs come into place. The reason that I'm so passionate about this topic is not because you can just get cheap labor. It's nothing with cheap labor overseas. It is to do with the fact that if you are an entrepreneur and you are saying, I want to build a six-figure business or let's call it a seven-figure business. For every, you know, most entrepreneurs, that first million is kind of that milestone in, in, in yep. business, which means that your hourly time value is equivalent to about $500 per hour, giving you work an average number of weeks, average number of hours. What I mean by that is for every hour you put into your business, that business has to generate about half a million dollars, half, uh, sorry, $500 per hour to make it a million-dollar business, Okay. Yep. But if you fill your calendar with $5 per hour tasks and you're doing that 80% of the time, whatever, you're, you're literally sabotaging yourself in your ability to create that outcome. It's a little bit, I'm getting a little bit metaphysical here, but, but basically like you it. cannot create a million dollar business doing 
$5 per hour activity. That's what I was trying to explain. Yeah, no fucking love that. That's a great explanation. And you refer to it as the morbid parts of your business. It's not morbid doing it. It depresses the shit out of you doing it because you are sat there thinking, fucking, uh. I remember it, it, was, it was a few years back before I had anybody working for me at all or doing anything. And some of the shit I'd spend days working on. Um, nowadays, I wouldn't dream of doing it. And if I did spend two days doing it, I, I would probably start drinking again <laughs> because it was super depressing. I mean, I keep, my eyes keep getting drawn to your t-shirt i think it's smart right and the little bumblebee climbing over onto your shoulder so it's called be epic you're called obviously be gel that's a bumblebee besides branding is there any is there any meaning behind behind the actual branding of the business so you obviously can see see a little bit behind me um some of my office here let me just uh pan the camera around just so you can see a little bit more of it here so i've got a lot of little stuff on, on my shelf back here so here's the thing everything on the shelf has a symbolic meaning so everything i love i love symbology i love ancient symbology so the bee, so um, a bee has a very short life, right? But in that short life, it doesn't yeah. waste a second of its life. A bee serves its unique purpose. Every bee in the hive has a unique purpose in the hive. A bee serves its community. It serves the hive and the bee serves humanity. So I say we entrepreneurs, we need to serve our unique purpose. Uh, we should not waste a single moment of the day days that we have uh, on this planet we serve our community, whatever that means to you, you know, whether it's a geographical community, whether it's a, a football team, or whether it's a religious community, whatever, whatever you know, is, you define as community. But also, we serve humanity. So the greater part of what we do as entrepreneurs is we serve. So that's the similarity between a bee and an entrepreneur. But another part of this is that we as entrepreneurs, we need to be the beekeeper in that protective suit, right? Think about a beekeeper in that white suit. <laughs> so that white suit protects you from the busy work. So your job is to cultivate the community, to cultivate the hive. It's the busy bees that are buzzing around, doing all the running around that build, that create the honey. The honey is the, the reward at the end of it, right? So that's where the, the bee symbology comes in. And also, ironically, both the color yellow and the bee are both linked to productivity um, in, in ancient times as well. EPIC is an acronym. A, A, as entrepreneurs, we have an EPIC story that we leave behind. But EPIC also stands for being um, efficient, which is the use of our time. P is producing the right results. I stands for being intentional, which is you know any given time period, whether it's monthly planning or quarterly planning or daily planning or even the next hour. When we are intentional, and the C stands for completion. A lot of times we'll have all the great wishful thinking in the world. We have all the great ideas, all the great uh, um, intentions of doing stuff. But unless we can become completional, which comes through, follow through on commitments, we don't get shit done. So that's what Epic stands for. That was fucking brilliant. I never expected that. I'm looking at the bee and I'm keep thinking, that's cool, that. I wonder if there's a reason. And then that little story is just like, fuck, do the bees get any of the honey then? (laughs) <laughs> the beekeeper gets all the honey don't they, <laughs> they no, no they do so they parse it off so basically the honey is what basically they, they use so they you know a good beekeeper knows how much to take and how much to leave so it's efficient productive intentional and then complete what the fuck you're doing get it finished love yeah. it. absolutely love it. that was brilliant um I, w- I won't keep you much longer i promise you an hour we're closing in on that now um Anybody trying to get into your industry, anybody doing anything like like anybody, anybody um, newcomers to the outsourcing um, or newcomers, let me not, not to trying to take your business, but new people using VAs, um, any tips, quick tips or advice that you'd give them for a smooth partnership? 
Yeah, you know, look, there, there are hundreds, if not thousands of companies out there, right? Um, the, the, my tip is this, is that think about the VAs, right? If you look after your VAs, um, they'll they'll do better quality work for you. Your clients will be happier um, and you're going to be just a lot more successful and you'll have less headaches, right? I mean, if, having been in this for 10 years, my, my 10 years in the call center, all I, all I dealt with was, was headaches and upset clients because the, the company would overpromise and underdeliver. It was, you know, myself who was on the call and it's because of the experience of another pissed off client that I decided to do things very differently. Do you know what just happened? I don't know if you can hear me, but we got internet problems. No, I um, can hear you. I, I can hear you fine. Oh, right, good. I thought, what the fuck? It just got bad right near the end of the thing. Right, so just before this starts to crash, which I know it might do because we, we, we had issues earlier. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, where do they go? How do they get in touch with you? Um, if they want to work with you um, and they want to be epic outsourcing, what's the URL? Yep, so that's the URL, beepicoutsourcing.com. Be and there's a free guide. The guide... Uh, guides them through six steps, six questions that they can answer that will help them prioritize what they should focus on outsourcing right now to help them uh, achieve their top three goals or resolve their top three challenges. Awesome. Well, it's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much for coming on, VGL. I really do appreciate it. I know we had uh, technical issues trying to get this podcast to go, so it, it worked out perfectly. And I just want to say thank you very much. And everybody, beepicoutsourcing.com. Get your ass over there if you want some entrepreneurs. Stop doing the $5 work, do the $500 work, and that way you'll become a millionaire. And I will see you all with another amazing entrepreneur this time next week. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.